0: Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed Episode 316 is recorded live January 26, 2017. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where the white stuff has returned. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Benter. How you doing today, Mac?
1: I'm doing very well and I appreciate the, uh, are you going to be on tonight call? Otherwise I'm <laughs> sitting there in my ignorance. Yeah, I'm doing good. Doing good.
0: Excellent. Yeah, it's, uh, we, we've, and even though it did snow, I still don't feel like we're getting the weather like we should be getting this time of year.
1: Well, I was out at the airport earlier, and 34 degrees is not bad. No. Uh, you know, they're not having ice on the runways, things like this. So uh,
0: I'm sort of all for it. Yeah, I I really don't mind. Uh, so maybe, you know, we're going to have a mild winter. It's been so far. But you know that there's going to be some storms coming up here at some point in time.
1: It, it's hard to believe this is the 27th yes. or 26th. I mean, the month is almost over. January is almost gone. And it's 6 o'clock, and it's still daylight. Yeah. I know. The only issue I have is I'm not having too many people available to dive with. The river has been beckoning, but it's hard to do that when you're by yourself in a dry suit with a
0: back zipper. Yeah, so you haven't been able to talk anybody in?
1: Well, well, the weekends is when, you know, we got somebody to dive with. But like last weekend, we had a great time taking those extra classes, uh, repeaters for me, you know, mm-hmm. where we had the O2 class. We had TPR. Yes. Uh, oxygen provider. Then we had nitrox again. And um, I was going to talk about it later, but if you haven't redone your your first aid and CPR in over two years, you really might want to do that because practicing with the dummies does make a difference. Uh, Some of the newer techniques are quite interesting. So I encourage you to get current on that. And I never really realized for the Dan items, they did not want you to take the O2 provider course unless you were Current on your first aid and your basic CPR.
0: Yeah, it is a requirement, pre requirement to take that class, um, and that just not, doesn't mean you've taken in the past. They want you to have it current uh, because they really build on. And you took it. I haven't had the opportunity, but the idea is that they really build on uh, what's taught or what's used on those first classes.
1: Well, you know, I took my EMT through college quite a few years ago. And even now, things have changed, and and, in effect, I was hoping Kevin would be on. I could uh, say, whoops, we talked about this a couple of casts ago, probably over a month, maybe two months ago, and we had a little discussion on what the correct procedure was. And he and I were both right, but I didn't realize he was right also, so I was going to apologize for that. But (laughs) procedure now, that if I'm doing a, a solo CPR, is chest compressions are number one item. We do 100. And then right. you try to get your two puffs in there. And if you can't, the compression is more important than not doing the other right. Yes. And the second part is if there's two of you, then it's 30 and 2, which is what Kevin was saying, and he is absolutely correct. So it's still good to go in practice, and that's really good if you've never done oxygen uh, with pressure demands or even an Ambu bag. It really is educational, and uh, we're going to update our club uh, kit also. Excellent. It was worth going. Good week.
0: Very good. And I'm, I'm sorry I missed it. And we'll, we'll talk about it in some depth a little bit later in the program. I'd like to thank everybody who's come on into the chat room. Uh, talk shoot was working for a little bit and then it failed on us, which just reinforces the idea that we've got to go to a, a different service. We're probably going to launch first on YouTube and then maybe if we've got enough bandwidth, we'll do some others. I have made some progress on the bandwidth front. Uh, Which brings me the point to ask you to donate. If you're listening to the program and you're on the fence about donating, we really could use the money because it's going to help us with some of these expenses that we've, we've got going. Go to www.scoobobsessed.com. Look for the Patreon link. Uh, you should be an ad on the right side of the screen or somewhere on the bottom if you're on a phone. Click on that. Even a dollar will help us. Ideally it'd be three and you get early access to show notes and some special members only information uh, but just to give you an idea some of the things that we've done in the past is uh, we've had uh, a nice uh, donor get Mac a new microphone which you're you're hearing hearing some of the benefits of that now uh, also upgraded the hosting for the website we've moved to a little bit better hosting than we had in the past so the website is a little bit quicker uh, We're in process of moving content over and then also in increasing bandwidth and that's where we can use the help right now. Uh, because uh, we live in a fairly rural area, you're not going to get some of the high-speed connections because, Mac, you've got Comcast where you're at.
1: That is correct.
0: So you, you can zoom along. Uh, I, I got the quote for the antenna to put on, and I'm not going to pay this because I'm going to work some other deals out with the guy, one of the advantages of, of my location, but $5,000 for an antenna.
1: Now, you got to tell people what that antenna is, though.
0: That antenna is a hundred and twenty foot tall antenna with guy wires out. And what that antenna will let me get is approximately about 10 megabits a second. So I'd probably be about a third of the speed that Mac you're able to get right now. Now it's a, it's going to be a little bit more of a dedicated circuit. So it'll be good, but you got to get up above the trees. You got to get a direct line of sight to the transmitting tower. And, uh, that's what it takes. So that's some of the cost. And, you know, I'm not expecting the show to cover that. I'm going to cover a lot of it myself, but that's an example of some of the things we do to be able to do this, and we need that bigger bandwidth. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm using a uh, 4G connection, which burns through the data at an amazing rate. We go through about four gigs just on doing audio alone in a week, and if we go to video, which is some of the things we need for the uh, next step to uh, go to YouTube, they want to see some video along with that, I estimate that we're going to be about 10 gigs, 15 gigs a week in audio and video bandwidth. So certainly helps. We certainly could use it. And we'd like to thank all our Patreon supporters have been donating up till now. It's appreciated. And like I said, we're not going to get rich doing this, but at least it keeps us on the air. And we are member supported. If you look, you have not been seeing any advertisement, not because we didn't want any, but just because our medium really doesn't lend it so well to advertisers. And one of the nice things about not having advertisers is we don't have anybody who's second guessing everything we see. So, or say. So we we haven't had any censorship, so we can say what we want. We can go do and dive almost every place we want.
1: It's a good thing on the non-censorship because we sometimes get off on a tangent.
0: Yeah, you could say things, do things. Uh, so when we say something we like, it's because we actually do like it.
1: Right. As as a side note, my download speed is eighty three meg, and upload <laughs> is twenty three. Right, right at the second.
0: <laughs> that's that's. You, I had to go
1: look because you said that. I had to go. Yeah. It.
0: Yeah. I, I'm. I'm. Uh, what what I'm going to do because I'm going to put up that tower is once I get that towered on a hauling, then once I get about 10 people around me on it, uh, I'll be able to get my bandwidth for free. But I've got to get 10 people. So it's just going to take that time. And then I still have to pay to have that antenna put up. So it's a big antenna. Uh, and I'm going to be able to cut out some of the labor because I'll do some of it myself. And then, again, working the deal to help them act as a repeating station.
1: Well, I've done a little work on towers, and I don't care where you're at. Once you start over 50 feet, you got wind. Oh, yeah. And hit the 100-foot mark. Even on a calm day on the surface, it's not calm up there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is, this is a 120 foot. Now, at what point do you need lights on a tower?
1: It depends on where you're at, and they've changed some of the rules. Um, one of the microwaves I used to uh, work with that's on a hill, also a high point, every uh, 100 feet, we had lights. And at 200, you had to have lights on the top. Mm-hmm. and hmm some people tweak it and make theirs 199, which is really false economy.
0: Well, right. It's, um, it's, it's not. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I'll ask the guy. I mean, I don't mind putting lights on it. I mean, now with LEDs, you can get something.
1: And big difference with LEDs because they don't burn out near as frequently as the other ones.
0: Yes. Yeah. The tower maintenance can be, I mean, that's part of it. So I got to run guy wires. Uh, you know, the guy wires have got to be about 80, 90 feet out from the tower at 120 feet, uh, Luckily, I got some pasture that uh, they'll be right in. The horses won't mind, so we'll go ahead and do that. And hopefully our listeners will reap the benefit. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. And again, we'll thank uh, Kevin and S. Nelson and Eric for being in the chat room. Uh, we have a, is this really the first article? I did these, these notes so early today, I've already forgotten. Bali Street's flooded so bad, Scoop Instructor starts diving in middle of the road. With all the heavy rains in Bali and clogged up, trash-filled gutter streets have been flooded on the island real bad, making light of the mega-flooding, a North Bali dive instructor, Putu Oh Sada Marawi, is that M- Mabawa? Sud, uh, wow, S-A-D-A-R-I-M-B-A-W-A, so I apologize, and you never thought I'd get his name anyway, he decided to exploit the weather conditions and take advantage of the new dive spot. Uh, photos and videos were uploaded to facebook on wednesday showing the man diving in the middle of the brown flooded road donning full scuba gear as other people struggle to die to drive through the water he confirmed in local newspapers that he was indeed the man in the diving photos he says he hosted the pictures as A form of protest. He explained that the village is very popular for tourism, yet it's always flooded during rainy rainy season. Since tourism started, it's flooded. Before, when there wasn't yet a lot of tourism, there wasn't a lot of buildings. Now that there are a lot of buildings, water's pooling up around, and with the lack of sewers, it's a problem. So what it sounds like is a little bit poor urban planning, and they're not doing anything to address it. Uh, He says that he hopes that this is the last time he has to dive in the road. If nothing is done to fix the conditions, and each time it floods, he will continue to take action. Uh,
1: I was looking at the pictures, and I I understand what he's doing, but by the same token, do you realize how awkward and dangerous it could be? And I'm talking it from the environmental aspects. I'm looking at a couple of pictures. Sewage. I'm looking at the cars, petrol, fuel. I'm looking at the animals. It's like that's not a healthy place to be diving. (laughs) Well,
0: it's not a healthy place to be diving, but think of all the people who aren't divers. What they've got, I mean, this is where cholera and other diseases start to oh, happen is when typhus. you have, yeah, you 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 have, cause if you have this, even if you have a good sewer system, that's what all your septic plants do not want to happen is a flood to where everything you've been patiently trying to process floats up. And, uh, he, he's, he's upset because it, it hurts tourism, tourism, it's, what's driving people to come here. It's what caused them. Cause in the past, I'm sure they got water, but, uh. You know, nature has a way of having, you know, creeks and rivers and stuff and it, and it just flows and moves a little bit better. When you artificially prevent that, you make hard surfaces where water can't absorb in, uh, you start running channels, you have curbs. If you don't have proper gutter systems, and then you're just creating this kind of mess. And that's what it looks yeah, like. Yeah. When
1: I, when I go on a vacation, I do not pack a pair of waders, uh, which would inhibit my getting around in that, in that area.
0: Okay. You just, just imagine what that smells like.
1: Uh yeah. Especially when it gets (laughs) a little drier, a little hotter, and a little more humid.
0: Yeah, oh and then when it starts to uh go away, it's still gonna be a little uh pungent, I would think. So yeah, here so you got people investing time and money and effort to bring tourism in and you got these sorts of problems. Let's see. The next one up is a Nashville lawyer and firefighter are holding a scuba diving event for disabled veterans. The goal is to give back to those who have served the country and are now disabled. Rob Peel, a former Marine and now partner at Neal and Harwell Law Firm, got a call from his cousin Martin Hompton. Hampton, a former Marine and now local firefighter a few months ago, had an idea of how to give back to those who were injured in serving our country. Pearl served in Iraq and Afghanistan, told his cousin why he was interested in helping out. I saw a lot of people get hurt for whatever reason. I didn't. I feel like I have to pay it back. I have to do something for those people that did get hurt. Hampton introduced the members of the TVAP, a Trident Veterans Adaptive Program, through his career as a fireman. We were all fire and police divers. We went around the country doing body recoveries, underwater investigation, and evidence recovery. Through that, we got introduced with the disabled American veterans, and we were doing a scuba program for their winter clinic in Colorado. Hampton joined TVAP and now joins Peel to offer some scuba diving experiences that he worked in Colorado disabled vets right here in Tennessee. The class is free of charge. So if you're in that area, I think you want to, and you know, a disabled vet who might like to participate in that program, you will want to look them up. They said this dive is set for February 3rd and 4th at Glen Camp Compton High School on Antioch Pike. It will be split into two sessions, 9 a.m. to noon and 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. Veterans are encouraged to bring caretakers and family members to also participate. They're looking for any scuba instructors who are willing to volunteer their time and help out. Excellent program.
1: Yeah, that makes me think of Dive Heart that we have talked with and talked about. And as a side note, whenever and whoever goes to Our World Underwater, coming up in February, I believe, don't forget to visit the Dive Heart Station there.
0: I'm sure they will have somebody uh, there representing. uh, I think that Chicago is their home grounds for Dive Heart, even though it's a nationwide program.
1: I do believe you're correct there.
0: Jim Elliott founded that and does a great job with that organization. And and I've said this a dozen times, we need to have him uh, back on again. Let's
1: see. Royal Caribbean. This is sort of apropos. I was talking about uh, something similar to this, participating in this with uh, Richard down there at the dive shop today. Did you? Right. What everybody's wondering, what the heck is he talking about? We're talking about the Royal Caribbean becomes the only cruise line offering certified scuba lessons. Uh,
0: Yep. Ten different Royal Caribbean cruise ships will now have onboard PADI. Uh, instructors five-star di- five dive centers on board patty uh, and then they go on explain what patty is adventure seekers can dive and explore hundreds of storied shipwrecks and destinations like saint thomas and british Virgin isles so what you'll want to do is take a look if you're going to book on a royal caribbean to see if that vessel has that program offered uh caribbean officer ranger program 30 minutes drive and dive uh reactivate program for certified divers who want a refresher which i really think that's probably one of the better things for this is if you're a certified diver and you haven't been in a while that might be the thing to do
1: yeah i was wondering though about the difference in the pricing though you know it says 29 to 59 what's mm-hmm. the difference if you're doing a refresher you know what i mean
0: well i think in a refresher they don't have to give a cut to patty <laughs> You know. No, but
1: I'm saying instead of starting at $29 and $59 per person, so I'm curious, what's the difference in the service if you're doing a refresher dive? Why the two prices?
0: <coughs> I'm I'm not sure. Maybe it depends on whether you're doing it on board or if you're going to do it as part of a uh, excursion. Uh, but that I mean, that's a good question to ask. $29 and $59. Maybe it's if you got gear or you have to rent gear for it.
1: Yeah, you're going to take your gear on a cruise trip. Can you imagine your tanks and your weight belt getting through customs?
0: No, you, you, if you or, do that, you're not going to have any room to take back all the, the gifts and liquor you've bought while you've been going around. Yeah, and they and they're, t- they go into the, some of the detail in the article about it. But, and it, what's your thought on dive training? Do you think that diving, uh, during the, you know, learning to dive on a destination or do you prefer Learning to dive, local.
1: Well, I tell you what, if I had the opportunity to go dive the Caribbean, in warm water, visibility, colors, fish, I would probably opt for that. I'm looking at the price here, and it said starting at five ninety nine per person. Uh, it's interesting starting at, but they're already on a cruise. You've got a captured environment, meaning instead of doing weekends, you've got them for quite a few days in a row. You already have a pool on the ship, so you can do your classroom. You can do a lot of your pool work right there. And then get into the shower, the shallower areas and do your initial. And you've got the whole rest of the tour to do a lot of your diving. Um, I was talking with to Richard today. One of the places he was on an opposite boat. He was doing the snorkeling and he looked over at the other boat. They actually had scuba class and he said maximum depth out there was 60 feet, which is right in line with, you know, uh, paddy courses. So you could, in fact, this is not a tourist course. This is a full fledged. Diver certification, basic, which to me is a little different than getting one of those um, courses so you can go dive while you're down there, but you still got to get certified. So this is a full certification course, so that's a plus. Excellent.
0: Yeah, because I I would encourage somebody before you make the decision is decide, is the training something that you want to take the time to do while you're on your cruise? You know, talk with your local shop, explain to them why you're interested in that. And then listen to what their answer is because you can tell, you know, kind of the sour grapes thing. You know, no, I don't want to because I want all the money. Uh, but you may be able to get, you know, because time times valuable on the vacation, you want to enjoy yourself. Uh, so maybe it's a, a case where you do the book work and the class work uh, at home at your local dive shop. Then maybe you do the finishing up on on the cruise line.
1: And, and there's quite a few times that we've had uh, classes up here that you can do all the class, all the pool. And you've got a couple of day vacation down in Florida and they finish you up down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If and, you've got the time and the coin, I've got no problem with that whatsoever.
0: Yeah. And, and some of your dive shops will go ahead and organize uh, training excursions as well. Uh, let's see. The next one is Ministry of Environment and Forest has uh, gotten d- scuba divers to help them clear a sea of abandoned ghost fishing nets. For those who don't know, uh, ghost fishing nets are those nets that are no longer being used for their original intended purpose which is to cast in the water and catch fish. When they fall off a boat, get damaged, get loose, whatever reasons, just end up in the water. They keep doing the job they originally designed for, which is entanglement, but nobody's pulling them up, so you're just wasting marine life. And actually, uh, this particular jurisdiction had discovered that it was actually having a negative environmental impact from having all these ghost fishing nets. And being synthetic fishing nets, in many cases, is they break down very slowly it takes a long time uh, so they've they've corralled these scuba divers in uh, from the indian institute of scuba diving and under the united nations development program undf uh, the project rescued and released a hundreds of other marine life that were caught in these ghost nets. after realizing they were affecting their ecosystem the minister tied up with the institute and last january started the program over the last year divers have cleared Two square miles of abandoned nets, and have rescued hundreds of marine life from the coast of Malvan and Vengurla in the Sindhudurg district. And I've left a couple syllables off of that, so if you're from that area, you probably have no idea where I'm talking about. Ministry even sponsored 50% of the scuba diving training for the volunteers. Chief Conservator of Forest said that over the years we have found a number of injured and at times even dead sea turtles and large fish washed ashore. The abandoned nets that are left behind the sea either because they are broken due to weight of a huge catch or they were left behind by fishermen and trawlers. Some marine life, including dolphins and turtles, need to come to the surface for air. However, they do get entangled from time to time and suffocate and die. These synthetic nets have not only affected the coastal environment, but also the fishery department suffocates thousands of marine life daily. Throughout this dive, we only rescued hundreds of marine animals from the nest, but also uh, tons that would eventually got caught there. So excellent that they're taking some initiative. And yeah, it would be expensive if you had to pay for it.
1: And, and you, you know, most of us here don't come across that, but I've had occasion years ago to run into uh, submerged nets up in Lake Huron. You know, uh, certain Indians can use certain nets, and these are submerged nets that got loose but they were maybe 15 feet under, the whole net was, and it extended another 30 feet down, and it was several several hundred feet long. And the vast quantity of dead fish in that net was amazing. So we tagged it and then contacted the Coast Guard, and we assumed they went back out, took the buoy off that we had on it, and then retrieved the net because, just like they were sitting here, it was killing fish and continuing to kill fish as it drifted along on occurrence.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I know when we were doing the river dive up there by the concrete plant, it always makes my skin crawl when you come on something that has nets, and there's some nets tangled down there in the pilings.
1: Yep, yeah, and they're still there, even though they are deteriorating because they were not synthetic.
0: Yeah, those are the the older style. Uh, and uh, I remember Jim Kleeman and I, and I've told this story many times in the program, uh, there was a, a floater, uh, a float on the edge of the net, and we, you know, it was a trophy. You thought we'd take that up and... We couldn't ever cut through the net. You know, the, the, our dive knives, you know, brand new, freshly bought dive knives, pretty sharp. They, they just, you know, you, they, they were cutting strands, but you'd have been there a half an hour cutting through some of that line.
1: Well, not just talking about fishing line, but, uh, came across similar items we had talked about. It, I think Kevin mentioned it, uh, the program a couple of months ago about taking some shears with you. And I have now come across recently both the, uh, you know, the downward line, how thick that is. Yes. Uh, you, you cannot cut that without – you have to have shears or metal cutters. Well, there is now fishing line, meaning it's about the same thickness as fishing line, but it's copper. It's woven copper and or steel. And they're usually leader line, sometime a couple of feet long. But I, I ran across a, a a number of feet of it down in those same pilings we're talking about. And that was only a couple of weeks ago. So you, you might need to be carrying your, your side cutters with you instead of a yes. knife. Yeah, I, d-
0: I didn't have side cutters uh, at that time, and I think immediately after that dive, uh, Jim did end up buying some. And then here we are in Europe. Europe is opening a new museum uh, underwater, crossing the Rubicon. Thirty-five figures have been placed. Uh, the museum is located in the Canary Islands off the coast of Land- was it Zort? Land- Zort L-A-N-Z-A-R-O-T-E features more than 300 human sculptures created by British eco-artist Jason DeCares-Taylor. And he's the one that you've seen all over, uh, you know, down in uh, Mexico. They've got uh, quite a few of his art projects. There are some, uh, what's that other island that's got him? I'm drawing a blank right. But this particular one is submerged at depths of 15 meters in the floor of Los Colorado's Bay the sculptures are only accessible to scuba divers and snorkelers. The project, which has taken three years to complete, aims to create a visual dialogue between art and nature. The features, the figures helping to form part of an artificial reef, which will act as a breeding site for local species, local species of fish and plants. A graduate of the University of Arts in London, uh, Mr. Taylor has worked on a number of similar large-scale underwater projects, including the first underwater sculpture park in Grenada. That's the one I was trying to think of, which opened in 2016. Uh, while the museum opened in March of last year has now only recently been completed and all the figures have been submerged, the idea has become a portal to another world. I want to inspire people to understand more about the oceans and the threats facing them positioned in several groupings, many of statues cast from real people. According to the artist, each installation aims to draw attention to global issues such as climate change, conservation, and migration.
1: I looked at a couple of the pictures on that when it first started out, and it was really nice. And I, I got off the site real quick because I was getting a lot of audio. I didn't know if you had any when you looked at it.
0: I probably do, but I, I've been using my Chrome browser, and the first thing I do is I open the tab and I hit mute. So <coughs> it can go and add all sorts of stuff to it.
1: Well, that first picture they had, you know, that big fence with the people going through the opening was quite interesting.
0: I could, I I like that. That was quite a big involved. Stru- uh, looks like a big structure. You know, I was thinking, you know, dreaming of when we, <coughs> excuse me, sink that giant vessel out here in Lake Michigan. Maybe something like this to augment that, like we saw the the boat last week where they had the the casino theme. Maybe we can do something similar.
1: If we just had a boat, we'd draw people. <laughs> that would be you know nice icing on the cake, though.
0: Well, I think a lot of times what happens you get these uh, groups in place that do this and you have to have a large plan. You gotta think big, huge. So uh, I guess first thing we gotta do is find find a boat to sink. But I do like this the art pieces. Okay, next up is we have giant underwater goddess found off Turkish coast. <laughs>
1: was that on your side of the fence or was that no a, uh...
0: we, we added we added uh, somebody into the the chat room so they could work uh, <laughs> i th- I think they muted themselves which we certainly appreciate
1: well I was looking around here trying to figure out okay what did I have open
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay let's see here I don't know if I can mute.
1: Well, I do know your next topic is what the giant underwater goddess found off a turkey. Yes. that pictures are quite interesting. I did not look at the video, and I'm looking at the amphoras that are littered across the bottom. And I would love to be grubbing in that area for the recovery of artifacts for the museum, of course. Yeah. But I noticed that even at that, that depth, it's hard to tell if they have light. I don't think they do. Even though you are casting some shadows, you, they might be, but... Uh, the pictures are very clear.
0: I'm trying to find the pictures. Oh, um, it's hard to tell now. People are so good at uh, color correcting. I'm going to guess that. Wow, see, how deep is this?
1: Well, I, I think they said 43 meters.
0: Yeah, 43 meters. So, so you're getting down there. Yeah, you're getting 130 feet. Yeah. So what they're talking about is they have they found a giant goddess sculpture on the floor on the uh seafloor on the southwest coast near Turkey. It's believed to be the largest of its kind ever discovered in Turkish waters. 2,700-year-old artifact was found by archaeologists investigating the contents of a 43-meter-deep shipwreck discovered in November 2016. Presently, they only located the legs and feet of the Cyprus goddess. Now the race is on to find her other half. Uh, From what I understand is that uh, they traditionally came in pieces. Uh, It's a terracotta sculpture, and so they're expecting that somewhere on this wreck site that they'll find the other part.
1: I just wonder what they were looking for to find that, because those are not popping out of the bottom sufficient to get a real good target, even the amphoras, so there must have been another reason they were down there. Well, obviously, without without any amphoras, there must have been a shipwreck nearby.
0: Yeah, well, then that's what it sounds like, is that they just recently discovered the shipwreck.
1: Well, looking at the jugs and stuff, it almost looks like it sank, split open like we're used to them. And because some of those are standing straight up and they're not chipped looking at the amphoras and then looking at the legs of the statue, they've got marked around with the, uh, the markers that give you your depth and your uh, length and width. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good shot. And that's that looks like quite uh, granular sand. Doesn't look like rock and stuff. So they're not really close to shore. I can't figure out what the arrow is for. Did you see the arrow on the bottom of
0: it? Is that maybe north? Would they put that to north so they can reorient when they?
1: That's what I was thinking. You know, I have to have some reference to direction down there, and that that must be it. But I don't think I've seen something that big put in one of those pictorials before like that.
0: Yeah, and and maybe it's just different techniques that different archaeologist organizations do. But you're right. I've not seen that particular one before. But it would help if you're doing some, if you got a bunch of mosaics and you're, you want to stitch it together, if you did that around each object, uh, it would certainly make it a little bit quicker to align.
1: I, I really love this idea, but we're looking at things around here at 250, 300 years old, and we're happy. Yeah. Can you yeah. imagine finding something 2,700 years old?
0: Oh, yeah. that
1: would be freaking awesome!
0: Yeah, that is just beyond old. And then, mysterious new shipwrecks found in Australian waters. Researchers discovered four new 19th century shipwrecks in the Coral Sea. A team of explorers set out from, uh, why is there extra letters in these words? Bangedberg. Two weeks ago, they were pretty sure they'd find something interesting in the Coral Sea. There is notorious for wrecking many 19th century ships on the jagged underwater cliffs, and many of the wrecks have yet to be found. Last week, a joint expedition by researchers from the Australian National Mar- Maritime Museum and the Silent Foundation yielded four discoveries, previously unknown remains of ships thought to be at least 150 years old. The team discovered the four sites of the Ken Reef, some 520 kilometers off the eastern coast of Australia. According to the at least one of the ships carried convicts and free settlers to Australia, thus we might glimpse... New insights into early Australian history. I wonder if that's exactly how they found them. You know, the anchors that they show there in that photo.
1: That's a huge, huge anchor. That would have shown up on a magnetometer there. And this is also interesting: as 150 years versus 2700. Yes. What are the chances of being able to determine something 150 years old as opposed to 2700?
0: It's all depth, oxygen, condition. I mean, it's it's hard. I mean, look look how. I'm surprised how good a condition these are, and they're only 200 years old.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the second picture now. It looks like a uh, fisheye lens. That looks like a minimum of two anchors, and I can't determine what those other objects are laying on top of that second anchor. Or, or are you looking at the same picture as I am?
0: I'm looking at the course, same picture the you are. course, people in land. Yeah. Well, you have to go into the show notes. Our $3 Patreon subscribers get the, the notes early and can follow along. Uh, and then also thanks to Jim Billings, who recently had a birthday, and he has been keeping our show notes up to date. So you can go to our website, com, and you can get the show notes. And usually they're up about three or four days after the podcast is aired. Um, I'm wondering uh, if I that like- was, was – could that have been something in an effort to recover the anchor? Because an anchor is a, is a significant investment in a ship.
1: Yeah, uh, but I, I – being archeo- you mean back in the day when I lost it? Yeah. I don't know. Look at the location and the, the skewing of it and how it's not uncovered. I like the third picture even better, cannon. And I'm looking at that. If we'd have been swimming around there, we would have identified that as a cannon.
0: Yes, that definitely looks like a cannon. You know, straight lines, you know, sometimes you get in where stuff shears and things, but that definitely, that screams on the a cannon.
1: And the covering on it, you know, you've got marine growth on it, but not extreme, and it's not hidden because of the growth.
0: I'm guessing they're fairly shallow. Just by looking at the lights, you know they're up there. Yeah, that's
1: that... well, looking at the gloves, no hoods.
0: Yeah, well, and also, you know, when when water's shallow and you can actually see the ripples from the the waves on the surface, that's what this kind of looks like. It said researchers also used a magnetometer to detect changes in Earth's magnetic field due to large iron objects underwater, such as cannon anchors, has helped them accurately map the wreck sites. Well, it helped them find the the, the anchors and the cannon. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. A lot of the new 3D work they're doing is going to be really useful for a lot of the newer shipwrecks. Well, even the old ones, go back and use that 3D technology to put everything together.
0: Uh, look look at that other angle. If you go down a little bit farther, they have the, they show the flukes of that anchor. And I know that it's a little bit of play with perspective, but that is a that looks like a pretty beefy anchor there. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of going back, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what would have been on that age of vessel that would still be there, that is made of iron. Could that have been the tiller?
1: Well, I'm thinking, you know, 150 years ago, that's only, what, 1880s or so? Yeah. The modern military had different arrangements rather than those cannons there. You know what I mean? Even the Civil War, that's not a Civil War cannon. That looks a lot older.
0: It does, you're right.
1: Which is a lot more than 150 years old.
0: They say at least 150 years old. But you're right. You would not have been using that cannon regularly as a military vessel, at least.
1: Well, I can't think of too many commercial vessels back in 1850. And I'm just thinking of Great Lakes and stuff even, that you'd have had a cannon like that. So it wouldn't surprise me that would be a little older than 150 years old.
0: Yeah. So it could be a case of this is just a really bad reef that, you know, if if you're hundreds of miles from anything and you don't even see land and you hit this... Then that's a bad day. It's probably been. A, it may have been a bad day more than once. So you could just have a a place that's a collector of shipwrecks. And how about finding this next? This this would be my dream to find as the article comes up. A Kinnerton scuba diver is to be featured in documentary TV series on a sunken submarine. The scuba divers to be featured in the program on the world's first steam-powered submarine, which sank. Chris Holden, six days, one of two licensed holders who can dive the wreck of the Resurgent, a vessel which sank in its main voyage off the coast of Ryle in 1880. Underwater heritage expert Chris from Kennerton, who is president of the Chester Sub-Aquatic Club, is to feature in a 10-part History Channel series, Combat Ships and the fellow Chester SAC divers, diver Dave Perry. It comes with dramatic underwater images. the final resting place. The Resurgent had been released for the time. As one of two license holders on the resurgent, Chris has the responsibility for helping protect the wreck. The wreck of the resurgent, whose name means I will rise again in Latin, was lost for 115 years until it was brought 50 feet beneath the waves. Interview with Chris and Dave were filmed at Woodside Ferry Terminal in Bickern Head, where the replica of the resurgent still stands. A fellow Chester SAC diver, Justin Owen, also from Chester, has now released a gallery of dramatic images showing divers exploring the wreck. Keen amateur photographer Justin 42 also recorded rare video footage of the wreck, which is built and test-launched in the Wallesee docks. In 1880, after a successful trial in the Great Float and editing docks in Wallesee and Birkenhead, the 45-foot, 3-meter sub set off for Portsmouth, where it was to be demonstrated to the Royal Navy the, as the latest in Victorian Navy technology. After stopping in Ryle for modification, she continued her journey before shipping water and sinking. So is shipping water a bad thing, I'm taking it? If, if your boat's shipping well, water? Well, I think you're
1: taking on, but if you're a sub, uh, I can't find the clicker on my uh, Skype screen that I could send you a picture. I've got several pictures of this boat, I meaning the cutaways, what it looked like, not uh-huh. just the uh, sunken version. Right. Quite quite interesting.
0: It was, and uh, what I'm trying
1: to figure out is where's her ballast tanks at looking at the diagram and the internals.
0: So it said it was discovered by Chester diver Keith Hurley in 1995. Keith was investigating what was a fishing trawler had snagged on its nets and discovered the wreckage of the resurgum. It is believed the wreck had been pulled up by a fishing vessel and dropped in its present location or been buried under the seabed exposed during the excavation of a nearby pipeline. The chances that it would have been discovered much earlier unless it had only recently been disturbed. The wreck is designated as a protective wreck, which means you can only legally dive on it with permission from CADW, the Welsh Government Service for Historic Environment. I took over the license along with a marine archaeologist after the former license holder Mike Bauer passed away a few years ago. It is my responsibility to protect the wreck and ensure no one dives on it without permission. Other divers can apply to have their names added to the license, and I have no problem with that so long as you follow the rules and help protect it. It isn't dived on very regularly as the the weather isn't always too kind. Dave Perry, Chester's sub-aquatic club diving officer, said, It's really interesting wreck now that it's teeming with wildlife. There are a huge number of crabs, dead men's fingers, anemones, lobsters, and odd conger eel and shoals of fish living around it.
1: Dead men fingers. I'm not familiar with that. What are that? What are they?
0: I am not sure. I think we may have to take advantage of the internet and figure that one out. Oh, it's dead man finger anemones. So I'm guessing it's a type of anemone. Uh, let's see.
1: Okay. Now you said that makes sense. Yeah. I just, yeah, I, I'm, probably I'm that of those. I probably paused at
0: I probably paused. Ooh. Uh, here, let me, I'll send you this, this image here and we'll put this into the chat room as well. And this certainly, if you, Came across it while you were diving somewhere. They, you would think that they were dead man's fingers. Did you get the picture?
1: I, I did not get a picture. I'm trying to figure out where some of my stuff are lost at.
0: Oh, oh, okay.
1: Let me. Now my Skype is playing games with me.
0: Okay, we monitor the condition of the wreck is in and try to protect what is an important wreck. In both 2007 and 2012, BSAC divers from Trafford and Chester undertook vital conservation work by placing zinc corrosion inhibitors on the wreck to reduce con- corrosion. We may repeat the process in the next 12 months or so. Her surgeon Story is a fascinating one. It deserves to be told to a wider audience. I'm delighted Chris Holden and Dave Perry, who are both committed to the preservation of the wreck, will assist the film crew and look forward to watching this series. So this is interesting. If I understand... They protect the wreck, and nobody's supposed to dive on it unless you get a license. And this license can have multiple people on it. And then for you to be able to, you know, if you're going to put your name on a license, you're committing to preserving the wreck and helping protect it. And it it sounds a little bit like a Tom Sawyer type of thing where, you know, they they convince you to help out. Oh, and and then you just sent me the photo. Which one is it? Are these all? I'm not,
1: I'm not sure which one. Uh, no, on the pictures I sent you, top right, look down to the number, down to the second one. This is uh, not the same photo I had a moment ago. When I was trying to relocate it, but they had a picture of that one cut in half, so you can see the steam engines. And if you look fourth picture down, you can see two cuts of that. Only this guy must have made a mahogany uh, represent, represent, yeah, the mahogany uh, model with all the internal plumbing in there. But basically, that second shot and the fourth shot down to the right.
0: Okay, second shot.
1: The first shot at the top is a, a submarine that's got a hatch thing on it that has that biplane in it. The one straight under it. Are you on the same picture? Are you I, looking at something different?
0: Well, it's showing me stuff a little different. I, I'm seeing some of them you're talking about, but I'm seeing others. I see, I do see a, a, a vessel. that's kind of on stilts. That looks wood. Is that the one? Right, you're that's out?
1: the one. Right, you cut that in sideways. And if I can find that other picture, it's really interesting looking at the engine.
0: Okay. It's
1: one thing, you, you close the screen, come back, use the same words, and it comes up different.
0: Yeah. Well, also what it likes to do is uh, it likes to do locations based on, you know, where you're at. So you be talking to somebody, and just because they're in a different state, they're going to get a little bit different image. Um, so I just sent you an image. Um, is this the one you're talking about, the cutaway, for somebody that made it. a model? Yep,
1: yep, that's it.
0: That is interesting.
1: Oh, isn't it? Like, where are you going to put your ballast water?
0: Well, that might be why it's sink. <laughs> uh,
1: I mean, you lose you lose uh, propulsion, you start taking in water, that, that one's going to sink under there.
0: I think maybe, I don't know. Yeah, maybe.
1: that's the kind that used to be not fully submersible, meaning you can see like the two snorkels.
0: Yes. It, it, so it had to had, be at
1: least that much to air breathe.
0: Yeah, you had to air breathe, I mean, the run, especially a steam engine.
1: I mean, that would be claustrophobic, noisy,
0: hot. I, I don't even – it doesn't look like it fit that fit that many people.
1: I don't know how you got more than two people in there because you can see the hatchway. That's going to be – a that's one-man hatchway, which I'm sure it is, coming straight down. You've got that man that's going to control the engines and maybe somebody else, but I see no other room.
0: Well, I'm trying to figure out what was even the purpose of it other than just to say it was underwater. I mean, was it a kamikaze type of mission or is this well, just or so, just
1: that's the way you started out, and you're, you're learning to do something.
0: Hmm. It is cool, though. I, I do like that. But what what is your thoughts on their their program where they they do the license, and then you to get on the license, you have to protect it? Well, now, remember
1: Harry Zeke. Um, he got, after he went through all the court suits, bought the contract from the insurance company, so it was his vessel. So it was his, and to legally dive on it, you had to have his permission.
0: So kind Unfortunately,
1: of after the 20 years it went through trying to get possession, many of the items that would have been interesting to have were gone. Mm-hmm. But to dive it there, you're, you're legally you're supposed to have his permission because it was his.
0: Yeah, if it was his, then make him take it, get it out of there. What's it doing clogging up the bottom? <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Let's see. What's the next one up? We should be getting. I,
1: I was going to say I found a different picture. Mm-hmm. Of the actual sub, and it doesn't look like that picture I'm showing you, that wooden one. This not here looks like it's got a conning tower. Oh, really? Yeah, you want me to send it to you?
0: Yeah, go ahead and send it to me. I'll take a peek at it. There you come across.
1: Did that get to you? Now, this is from Wales, uh, and I'm not looking to see where it's from yet. I hadn't seen that. Yeah, because it says, first glimpse of uh world's first steam-powered sub sank off the coast in 1880. It was named the Resurgam. Mm-hmm. resurg Lost 115 years, 50 feet beneath the waves. That does not look like that other pictorial.
0: It doesn't, but maybe we're looking at it differently. Could that be it kind of flipped on its side? Maybe that's a thin... it, it might
1: be because then you can see the turret or the top access port. Uh, looks like you can see um, where you'd want to have a rebreathe, not a rebreathe, with a snorkel
0: mm-hmm. for
1: your engines. Are or, or you following where I'm at while looking at the picture? Kind
0: of. That's hard. But that that is that is that, that is that same vessel.
1: Yeah, I scroll down, look down, looking at the diver in relationship to the hull. That wooden one could be that.
0: Yeah, because he but, he, uh, he might be like he might be swimming along the bottom of it. Well, they yellow. said it's
1: forty-five feet. Uh, cost 1400 $1, dollars when they built it, basically, mm-hmm. and carried three sailors. So tight quarters.
0: Yeah, yeah, because you see him next to it. It's not it's not that big at all.
1: I. You know, it looks in condition such that you could bring that baby up.
0: Well, and and you heard what they said. They thought that it had been covered to be in the condition that it's in. So they're not sure if it got, maybe got snagged by a neck a net and pulled out, which seems odd. And they're also laying a cable. But, you know, laying a cable, you wouldn't normally pull something out, I wouldn't think.
1: The only thing is if it went under the nose and was going that direction. But that, if you're laying, that's it, going to be on top of it.
0: Yeah. But if you got, I mean, if these nets are that big and heavy, it could. But you got to admit,
1: you could bring that baby up.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's like fifty feet. Yeah. I wonder why they haven't considered it. Yeah, because we did the Hunley. I,
1: that would really tweak my curiosity about. well, let's go down and bring that baby up, and bring it to shallow, leave it underwater so it's not going to deteriorate any quicker, and you could do a lot more exploration and possibly a penetration.
0: Yeah. So, so. A lot it, safer. Yeah, it's on the A&E Network's UK channel, H2, this year. So I I know in the U.S. we have a channel called uh, H2, and I don't know if it corresponds to that one. So maybe we'll be lucky and it will come on. So if anybody sees it coming up, drop us a line so we can make sure we see it. I I
1: sometimes feel bad about talking about this when people can't see what we're talking, because then they enjoy it a lot more.
0: (laughs) You would enjoy it a lot more. Well, that's, maybe that's one of the reasons we do the video. Maybe we'll do and uh, we'll show some clips.
1: Yeah, we'll just close our eyes and try to describe an elephant, right?
0: Yes. Well, it's kind of round and it's big and squishy. And and then one of the last articles says, Can you die if you scuba dive before flying on a plane? This one's out of Forbes, which I don't normally consider as the hotbed of scuba diving news. But... Uh, it is something to think about, and everybody who goes through open water training learns that you need to allow yourself plenty of time after scuba diving before you get on a plane. Because what can happen is, yes, you can die, even though it's rare it can happen, uh, you experience a decompression sickness. So the same thing as if you're underwater and you're down for a while and you come up too quick uh, when you should be in some sort of deco, uh, you can experience the same thing in, in a plane, decompression sickness. Only if the, the plane
1: loses its pressure.
0: That's true, yes.
1: And the other aspect, if you were doing a high altitude dive and you're on a different table,
0: mm-hmm.
1: then your threshold goes back heck in a handbasket. Because generally you're pressurized at like, I'm, I'd have to remember, I thought it was like 10,000 feet or something like this. So if you were at 10,000 feet and you were diving at, you know, Death Sea or something,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you could still have a problem. But if you were at 35 and depressurized to 1,000, you're gonna have some. You're gonna have some issues.
0: Yeah, it, it's it all. I mean, the answer is it depends. But why do you want to leave it the chance? Yeah, you know, the the planes has problems. It depressurizes. Do you want to be the guy in excruciating pain who's paralyzed and then can never walk again?
1: Well, like like it's in our books. You know, you want to wait twenty four hours to give you a real positive. You're not going to have an issue between diving and flying.
0: Mm-hmm. So just something to be aware of. And they say Dan has a good article, like they do on many things. Uh, uh, it's so if you look, if you go on the Dan website and you look for uh, flying after diving, they'll give you advice.
1: Uh, that itself is a good article. If no one did anything else, but look at the article here, very educational, very good.
0: Dan's a, Dan's always good to take a look at.
1: I I read them every time. You know, they come up and I give me a little tweak there on a the computer. And what's a lot of fun is to do some of the exercises or their little test. Mm-hmm. And I don't care how good you are, take some of those tests and you're going to realize what you don't know. And sometimes I take their test and the wording may be such that it's can be ambiguous, but it's still good to look at it from a different perspective.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it makes you think, you know, because sometimes you, you know things, but you know it from – one angle and maybe even thought about how it relates to something else.
1: Well, I did one the other day, and just one of the questions I'll ask. Um, on a wetsuit, is mm-hmm. it better to have a thin layer of water? The thin layer of water between you and the suit is what you warm up and makes the wetsuit work real good, to the faults.
0: Is it better to have a thin layer of is, water? Is, it,
1: is that the purpose, is it? Is to you have the suit on, it traps a little thin layer of water that your body will warm up, and that's what the wetsuit and how it functions to keep you warm.
0: Uh, that's what they're going to tell you, in my opinion, is that y- your body has to expend energy to heat up that water. So if you had a wetsuit that was perfectly sealed, you'd be warmer if it didn't let the water in. Uh,
1: so is that why you add warm water?
0: Well, I add warm water because if I don't add warm water in, the cold water is going to come in. <laughs> so
1: And the answer is correct. A, a correct snug fitting suit will not allow water to get in to begin with yes we compensate because i don't know anybody who's got a custom suit that doesn't have a little bit of play somewhere especially under yeah. the armpits yeah but, and that by pre-warming it and giving you another layer of water makes a heck of a difference
0: but it's but been you're right so improperly told so many years that people believe that the water has to get in for it to be warm and that's i mean you want you want the least amount of water moving so we and that's one of our trick, one of our most popular articles on the website to this day. And you know, we probably get 30, 40 hits a day just on that article is how to stay warm in a wetsuit. And when you prime with that warm water, ah, uh, and not only does it feel good, but it, it, uh, does keep you a little bit warmer.
1: Well, it goes back to though we we're talking, remember I always use a shorty undermine because it's mm-hmm. got an attached hood. So I don't have anything coming down my neck. That fact alone makes the suit better fit which keeps the water out. And that's the whole purpose. If you keep yourself dry under the wetsuit, you will stay warmer. But I've never seen a perfectly form-fitting suit, even though some of these new ones are supposed to be that way.
0: Yeah, I've some of these wetsuits and that's something I would like to do with a podcast as money starts coming in through our donors and other ways. I'd like to start buying different gear and just doing some comparisons. And I have seen some interesting ideas in it and, the the better something fits. You know, tight tight without being too tight is really some of the best wetsuits.
1: I've seen those ads for the warm wetsuit that somehow retains the heat, blah, blah, blah. I'd love to see what that is. And like you said, I think it's going to be, you know, now that you get the stretchy nylon type item like, like we do. In the old days, you had rubber. Uh-huh. And then you had the shark skin. And then you started having that lining on the inside so it would be smoother to put on. Yeah. So I just wonder some of these new products that are flexible, that will stay closer to your skin and not be tight. I'd like to see some of those. I've read about, you know, retain heat really, really well. And if anybody out there has got one of those suits, and I cannot think of the brand names right now, let us know. We'd like to have a, how did you like it? How did it work for you?
0: And it gets an idea, if we ever do get to that point where we're doing reviews of products, if we would get an idea of which ones we should pick up.
1: Back in the day, we used to do and take an issue of Undercurrent, which was a magazine, and it still is put out, I found out. It it still exists, yes. The The reason we always – we took a a subscription back then as as a club event because they did evaluations based on what they thought regardless of what the manufacturer said, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which was what we've always talked about. We like to have the real input based on what the divers say and what we say, not what the vendor says. But well, it, Undercurrent's still a good magazine, and they did what we're trying to do or would like to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and, and we're not saying that there aren't uh, groups out there doing it, but I think we could do our own unique spin on it. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News. I'd like to thank uh, WRVO Radio for putting us on the air for another year. If you're into hunting, fishing, or the great outdoors, you want to listen to WRVO Radio, uh, Reno Viola Outdoors Network. So, Mac, did you get any diving in this last week? You haven't had anybody to zip you up.
1: Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we did have the uh, classes, which I went ahead and took all of them, and they were yeah. very, very good. So, I mean, that was m- more than a full day.
0: Yeah. So, and we
1: had a lot of good after-class after the class discussions also.
0: Oh, and certainly. So, uh, so the, what was the first class? The first class was the CPR first aid?
1: Yes, we had first aid and CPR, um, and and we did scenarios uh, that broke us into groups and set up a stage, and you walked in on them, and you went as if you'd seen them. You know, hey, mm-hmm. hey, are you okay, that kind of stuff. And it's good to play act because yes. if you do, you are going to do better in a real scenario. And one of the items that we really trying to teach was situational awareness, From and we've talked about this part, situa- you know, what's going on around you. Like when you walk in there, you think you might want to stop for a moment and say, is there something going on in the room that's hazardous to my health? Yes. Because uh, one of the items we brought up was not three days before this class on last Wednesday. Uh, it was on Facebook, too, where you see an, a, a street chain in some city and a manhole cover is open. And basically the first man down went down and died. Second man went after him and died. Third man went after him and died. And yes. it's situational awareness. When you look down and you see somebody go down and then you watch a third, second guy do it, there's got to be a reason and for you to go down afterwards. Yeah. So situational awareness was taught in this one here. Why are they down? Is there something you, as you come into the room, do you see? Like, is there an electrical line by them? Is he laying in a puddle of water? That kind of stuff. It was it was good. Different perspective than I've seen on just going in and giving CPR.
0: Yes. and And – when you say that, it reminds me of the, the training that the Boy Scouts do for, for first aid. It's very heavy on uh, the situational awareness. Uh, every year, at least in our district, uh, for Boy Scouts, they would do a first aid and call it Jamboree and it would be a, a camping weekend where it was just scenarios all day of different things. And some of them were the, the fun, high adventure type. You know, moving an injured person across a raging river or something. But every the one thing you picked up with hit between every scenario was the first step was take a look at your rounding, surroundings. So it didn't matter what they were training you. And so by the end of that weekend, all the Boy Scouts were, you know, well, what do you do? And it was first thing was, you know, take a look. Because you, you know, nothing worse than uh, making a situation worse by adding more uh, injured people to it.
1: Oh, Absolutely. I think one of the other little aspects in the first aid was uh, splinting. It was a little different than we used to do in the past. And just being able to see that and how you attach the splints for total immobilization, Mm -hmm. it's like you're not going to go out there and try to reset the darn thing. It ain't your job. No. And you're going to have help available a lot quicker. Why do any damage by trying to fix something you're not qualified to fix to begin with? Right. So the techniques for doing splints were really fun. And uh, They looked a little awkward, but hey, you got a broken bone, and you're trying to mobilize it and above and below it. it. it was it was really good. Excellent.
0: So so that was the first aid, and then then you talked a little bit about the CPR.
1: Well, it was probably equal. Um, well, yeah, CPR, we went through it. We had two different mannequins, and you physically had to go in there and make the chest come up. Well, we had to sort of take the mannequins apart and reconstruct where the hoses went because we couldn't get chest rise. Uh, everybody was emphatic. If you've ever given it before, when you push down on, you know, mid chest, it's not down xiphoid like it used to be. It's two fingers above the xiphoid. It's between the nipples of the breast. It's a, if you didn't feel something crack when you did it, it's not working because mm-hmm. once you get that cracked, you're going to feel it mushy. And it's true. I've I've done this before, and if it doesn't feel mushy, you're not doing it right because you didn't break that bone enough to be able to make it move sufficient to press the heart against the backbone. Right. So he went into details on that and we had a doctor there as part of the crew and we'd had quite a few people who were basically born on an ambulance, not just mm-hmm. in it, right, for 15, 20 years who have done this many, many times. And, you know, when you're talking two-and-a-half-inch depression in the chest, man, let me tell you, at 100 beats per,
0: <laughs>
1: try doing that to stay in a lie song, man and you do that for 3 minutes and you want to break you know you want to take a break yeah I've... and the, and the section on the ads was excellent you know ads do not bring you back to life if your heart is stopped it's not going to work it's only if it's got some kind of a quivering motion that you can try to restart it mm-hmm. so if you haven't been to those kind of classes and you're a diver you really really want to go for yourself and for your friends
0: i agree i i wish i could have made it i was Knee deep in robot build season, so I, I won't be coming up for air for probably another four or five weeks. Right uh, now, you had and then, go like ahead. I say the
1: oxygen course fell in to that afterwards, and huh? you know we have two Dan kits. Uh, Larry had one, Ken has one. I've got a modified one, which I am now going to fix. But some of the newer tools I want to have on our first aid kit is ambu bag, you know, a manual bag for resuscitation that you can hook up oxygen to. Yes, at a minimum. And there are some really interesting uh, face shields that if you do give CPR, how you can, you know, with check valves, that you can do it correctly and not get yourself any bodily fluids in your mouth. Right. Um, We did techniques even for the Hemlich, which I had not done before with a person prone and how to do it by yourself. We actually tried to have people practice this so they could really see how it does work.
0: Was that the 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 over-the-back-of-the-chair technique?
1: That was one, yes. Yep. And if you actually practice it instead of just talk about it, you know, sort of mm-hmm. get into the mode to sort of do it and get the location, makes a makes a big difference in just talking about it.
0: Yeah, because yeah, I don't think you've got a lot of time. By the time you're to the point where you're willing to try and give yourself your own Heimlich, uh, it's probably a pretty dire situation. You're not going to have a lot of. If you're uh, by eternity. yourself,
1: you were you can be royally screwed. Yeah, and the the Yotu course, I think, probably the significant item we we learned there is one, we need to be carrying more O2 on boards. Um, Probably the other item is, on a diving accident, whenever it's, you know, a diving-related, could be decompression sickness, you give them 15 liters of O2. And he says, when you transfer from 15 liters per minute. Yeah, Wow. That's a lot. Uh, Normal for us, I think, when we're given a patient under general circumstance with six liters. So they said, when you transfer that patient to the EMS, make sure you tell them, leave it at 15 because they'll back it back down to six because 15's unheard of. We're just trying to make sure they get lots and lots of oxygen and get rid of any nitrogen any bubbles you know what I'm saying
0: uh-huh. So
1: they were emphatic about that aspect of it So and they want the so, other part
0: so they, they want the, as a diver to give a lot.
1: Oh yeah 15 and at 15 liters if you got a D bottle or a jumbo or an E, you're gonna exhaust that pretty darn quick. So you really need more than what we've been car- you know, carrying, unless we have immediate response. And if you're on a boat, you better have extra tanks. Yeah. And that's what we're going to look at, making sure we have some on our boat when we're ten miles offshore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because we've used oxygen a couple of times on our dives when we've had some potential uh, issues turned out not to be, but we used our O2 kits. But excellent, excellent class again.
0: Good. And then you also had the nitrox, which was probably mostly a refresher for you.
1: Well, it was for me, but a couple of them, uh, you know, brandy new. The significant part there, I think, was being able to, one, test your mixture. You don't necessarily believe what somebody told you. Yes. That if you didn't use your tank, methods that they use to mark the tank so you know that, one, hey, this has been used, and you don't really know what the mix is if you were to add air to it, it that you need to then recheck it. Even though you're getting a nitrox fill, since you already got a partial pressure blend of uh, nitrox, you're still not going to use the air table. So you need to really start checking your blends out and what do you have in your tank when you, when you do that. And then again, you had everybody had to measure three different tanks using different meters. And, uh, you definitely had to use the charts to figure out your down times. You know, what are your, what's your maximum depth you can do mm-hmm. uh, with your safety factor, of course. And, uh, what your time's going to be it was it was a good class very good class excellent and reading a book is nice talking with people who've been there done that is very very helpful
0: so do you think the nitrox class is something that every diver should take
1: actually it's the second most popular class that is presented by patty other than open water really
0: so even more than advanced then
1: yes oh
0: i'm a little surprised but that's that's i guess that's good the voodoo gas uh, ends up being okay after all.
1: Well, it's like the are it's becoming the key item. You start looking at how much you can increase your bottom time, it makes a lot of sense. I use it because I'm older, and I want to minimize my nitrogen absorption period. So I always still use my air tables. And maybe it's a placebo effect because we were still discussing that and a lot of the rule, not rules, but uh, the evidence medically is not necessarily there for – the enhancement that we believe Nitrox gives us, I always feel much better when I'm finished a Nitrox dive. I I think I remember better, and I don't get tired as much. Now, if that's a placebo effect, doesn't matter if it works, does it? No, not really. And I can afford it, so I'll do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that's what it comes down to. Is that this is something that we're doing for you know, when you when you look at the percent of time that you're actually able to be underwater, you, you might as might as well make it as Great of an experience as possible.
1: Well, I remember back years past where you had to take the class, you had to do your mixing with them, and then you had to have to do X number of dives. Yes. If you know the numbers, you know, your safety margin and everything, it's like diving. So the key item is making sure you know what you've got and making sure you know the tables and then running by the tables or being conservative with them.
0: Now, since it's been a few years since I took the class, and we've covered a few stories where people have had complications because of the wrong mix. It wasn't what they thought it was. Were they offering any recommendations? So say I I go and I fill my tank, and I go and I test it right there when I fill it, and I write the label on the side of my tank, and it's me that wrote it. What were they recommending the day that you dive? Say it's a week or two test later. Test it
1: the day you dive. Part okay. of the reason was you can have multiple tanks mm-hmm. with your name on it, and it's not unheard of is to... Hey, Ralph, get my tank or go ahead and use this. You know, I only use 200 pounds. It's this, blah, blah, blah. Well, you dive it, check your air, see what your mix is.
0: I, I agree. I'm, I'm glad that that's what they're doing because it's almost like evidence. Once it's been out of your sight, who's to say that it didn't get used and then refilled by somebody else and they didn't peel your label off?
1: Right. And that's what they were really after. And they had us, you know, label it down, and then techniques they use that if you finish and you're not dry, or even if you are, you you know, you It's how we label the tank after we finish. So it's identified to you because it's your tank. Right. Because you use it. And, again, whatever you do to it, you still got to check it because it's a partial mix, even if you put air in it.
0: Yeah. They were
1: really emphatic about that.
0: Yeah, You just can't count on it. It's it's not worth it. We've covered being on the – doing this podcast for as many years as we have. That seems to be the common element is it just mistakes can creep up and – happen. So you want to eliminate them and it doesn't take that much time. If you're going to be doing nitrox, it's probably time to invest uh, and get that. What were they recommending for computers? Did they mention anything as as far as for sensors to test?
1: No, they didn't because they had some that were a $1,000 and they had some they bought off eBay for 50 And they all were very good Meaning the percentages between the two, I think there's like a one percent item that if you test 32 and it's 31 or 33, it's 32. Okay. Uh, because of variations. Mm-hmm. You know, that's pretty freaking close. Um, they they were saying when you buy one, make sure you can afford to have it. If you're not going to be doing nitrox, like we don't do that much of it, do you want to spend a thousand dollars? That's a bit much. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if I'm diving nitrox, I want to make sure if I haven't tested. It's in my possession, and it's not. Two weeks later, I'm going to do something. Right. So you definitely want to know what you got there. I was looking for something else I had too, but I can't find it right this second.
0: Yeah, because that's the other half of it. I've I've never invested in buying that that reader. Yeah, you know, I've, I've used the ones that the dive shops have, and pretty much had it filled, and then we went immediately dove it. Uh, so good. Well, I'm glad that they had the class, and hopefully, I get a chance to, to do a makeup. I I've I. Talk to the instructor who did the class for you, and he and I at some point will have to get together. I think he was hoping I would be able to get in that class, but just a bad time of the year. Uh, It's a good time of the year actually to do it, but uh, we're in in the robotics season.
1: Right. I think they were always they they emphasize over and over as uh, the four rules you got to do: always analyze, always know and respect your mod, Mm -hmm. always track your O2, meaning what is my cumulative O2, and always plan your dive. Dive your plan. Don't be afraid to abort because if something's squirrely, figure it out on the surface, not trying to figure it out down below.
0: Right. Yeah, because a lot of the problems that are happening down on the on the bottom will can get better as you get up.
1: Oh, yeah, and will. Well, and we'll do that. The other aspect they, they also emphasized is uh, communications. If you have any thoughts that somebody's bent, make sure you call Dan mm-hmm. and start getting them you know, even before the EMS stuff gets there, have them on the phone. Because if you've got a doctor talking and you got an EMS transfer, let them talk to the doc.
0: Yes. Because Dan knows also...
1: I'm sorry?
0: I was going to say, Dan, Dan knows it. They experience it. They're kind of like the central clearinghouse for all this information. If you're diving on a weekend, which many of us do, and you get into the emergency room, they've got shotguns, they've got nice stabbings, they've got poisonings. Uh, they may not see that many divers in the course of year, especially up here in the Great Lakes. You know, the knock on wood, we're pretty fortunate and we're not in the emergency room uh, very rarely. More likely for a, a bumper or a bruise than it is going to be for uh, a decompression hit. Uh, but uh, you want that doctor to get advice from experts so that they understand the seriousness and that it gets treated as quickly as possible because if they spend time triaging you, and looking at other things than what your actual incident is, it can impact positive. Big a time.
1: They, we got not on a tangent, but one of the big issues was always when you're working like this and there's more than one person, you can start working on the patient, but send a dedicated individual yes. specifically identified, call 911.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's and back.
1: That, wrote, that rotates in every, every time you're out there, you should have an emergency plan written. And I've been taking one with us. And all our dives in my red book, which is a script. That if we had a problem, first page is exactly where we are down to the you know roads and stuff. Second page is if you're calling nine one one, here's the verbiage to use because you're going to be excited.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and again, having an emergency action plan is if you're out there and we're doing our marinate you know, our a launch dive there, there are niles and we have a problem. Does everybody know what to do? Does everybody know where the book is? Where they know how to respond. Do we have the equipment? And we do need to do need to do a better job on putting that together, so everybody as a group knows where that book is.
0: Yes, yeah, and that's something that we can cover at our our dive club meetings. That's something that we could start having a, a regular item on. The other thing, when you talk about having a plan, uh, part of it is knowing where you are. If you're at that uh, river entry at the corner of the road by that red house, and you had to call in that emergency, where, where are you going to tell? Uh, first responders to get to, especially if you right, call you know. in a cell phone. You know, they they have no real idea where they're at. Even with some of these modern systems with GPS, uh, you really do need to give them a solid address.
1: Right, and and it's nice for us, like we're in Merrimont. We are really, really close to the hospital. Yes, we are. When we're doing the bridge downtown. Well, I mean, it's, we, we could,
0: you could drag us onto the bank and call us in the back listen. room.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And then when we're down here in Benton Harbor, how close are we to the hospital? Pretty freaking close. Yes. So we're fortunate there. But if you're at Go Lake, I don't know where the hospital is.
0: I have no idea. Bronson, maybe? I mean, would that be, that I'm sure be the I'm sure there's got to be
1: something. Yeah, got to be something local, though. Yeah. You know, like even here, Ward of Leet. Did you know Ward of Leet's you know Le- getting two monolungs?
0: That's what I heard. We, we've we got our spy now on the inside, and she was mentioning something.
1: Yeah. Even though they're going to be for more wound treatment or, or, or mon- right. monoxide poisoning, uh, In that discussion we had at the meeting here last week, some of the monolungs now are capable of uh, giving you at least one atmosphere of pressure. They're rigid. Mm -hmm. And putting you down 30 feet can help a heck of a lot, even if you couldn't do a full, you know, 60 foot or something. But pressing down in a dry environment.
0: Yeah, and that could be a benefit just for the short amount of time until they actually are convinced enough that you need to go to a full uh, decompression chamber that's what I w- wanted to know, and i'm glad that you asked is is how far those could actually go down if you could get a full treatment out of or not
1: yeah generally the the small monolungs are not because they're just doing enrichment for areas and and some of them will only like with the leg and stuff well your body's in there and your leg's getting done but again it's low pressure at, but it does help you know oxygenate that aspect that they're looking for and yeah. for you don't have to be under uh, big pressure when you're just trying to make sure you get 100% oxygen transfer from monoxide poisoning.
0: Yeah, because that's probably what 90% of their cases are going to be is carbon monoxide poisoning.
1: Yep, and uh, a lot of times it's going to be firemen and uh, people as a result of the fire.
0: Yes. Well, so it's I'm, but I'm glad to see that they're getting that sort of uh, uh, items in the area because St. Joe, I imagine, has to have some of those, would not you think?
1: Uh, last count that I last time I was up there. Messing around with the people they didn't they did not have any monologues. Huh. and that's why I found it interesting that a smaller community hospital would have something
0: now I hear some incredibly local news. a uh, water of uh that is Lakeland, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is, but yeah. I mean it's it's you know how many far, how far away is it? It's a fifteen minute ride
0: yeah well, I was just I'm just kind of surprised because lakeland. You know, as has happened throughout the country, a lot of these hospital systems have been rapidly closing down the hospitals because in Bering County, how many hospitals did we have? Maybe five or six? And we ended up with just uh, St. Joe and Niles. I mean, you had yeah. one in Bering Springs. You had one in – they had the Waterville one, which it appears like they're trying to staff that again, at least at some uh, level. Uh, so maybe they've, uh, they've done the they, – I mean, they, they've done the numbers. I mean, an outpatient is huge. You know, Lakeland's got two large outpatient campuses, uh, with the one in Bent Harbor and the one in St. Joe off Hollywood. So uh, good. You know, and, and that reinforces that idea we have to have a plan. So something I'm certainly going to think about.
1: Well, I've been trying to put in a newsletter there, what would you do if? Mm-hmm. And you really do need to think about that. And, again, we do have some aging divers, and yeah. you, you just don't know. And that's like uh, – a couple of the clubs uh, who are represented there, they actually have AEDs as part of their club kit.
0: Really? Well, they that's, have, that's yeah,
1: nice. Um, his, uh, and he gave me the address and stuff, is uh, 300 bucks. Really? You have to maintain it, though. Yeah.
0: And, and basically, and it's
1: validating batteries are good and making sure it gets its uh, renewal certification.
0: Mm, that's nice. Yeah, and if you want to take a look at those uh, newsletters, even though we'd love you to be a member of the MUD Club, you don't have to be, com. And you can see that. And Mac and uh, his associate have done some nice stuff on the website. It's looking it's looking good.
1: We're hoping to get it even better. But, yeah, my, my daughter Kathy has been uh, ram riding and helping me, meaning telling me what to do.
0: <laughs> Push that button. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: And, and more than that is usually, don't you do that without making sure I know what you're doing, <laughs> which works for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I had set that other one up, and I just was never happy with it after I did it. It was uh, and she's got a good eye it's it's looking it's looking good i I always like the a white clean look like that uh, let's see do we have anything else did you have uh anything as far as on the safety front you want to talk about this week?
1: well I had we'll do that next time we I, I want to try to keep this as low down I know that hour is the magic mark and we always go over it yeah and even when you edit so I'll keep on to it but eventually it's going to be safer diving and always have a backup
0: plan yes. Yeah, and Kevin this, yep, and then Kevin this week was taking some time off, uh, he's been doing a lot of research, uh, and, uh, I think that his significant other was probably wondered what he looked like, so they're spending some much needed time together and uh, also he's been working on getting some guests lined up so we've got three or four guests that have committed for the next couple months so we'll be having some guests on maybe not every week but uh, we should be having some very soon who've agreed to come on the show and we are getting into dive show season what so what's the next dive show that's coming up
1: well the next big one that uh, a good number of people will probably be going to is February the 25th, and that's for, it's actually a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but uh, we're going to be going on the on that Saturday, the 25th of February, which is the uh, World Underwater, Rosemont in Chicago.
0: Yes, and if you're going to be here for that, make sure you drop us a line, the show at Scuba Obsessed, uh, or you can go visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Scuba Obsessed, and let us know you're coming in so that somebody can be on a lookout for you. Uh, yeah,
1: right now I plan on being there, and I'll be there Probably, I know I'll be there at noon. I'll probably cruise around for an hour, maybe two hours, but I'll have a window, and when we plan it, we'll, we'll say we're going to be here. Look for the people or the guy in the mud jacket, which is Michigan Underwater Divers, and that'll be us, the Muddies. And then following February, we have, of course, um, uh, following weekend is the 4th of February or March.
0: And, and which one and, and that, that one?
1: That's going to be uh, uh, the ships, shipwrecks, and that's going to be in Ann Arbor. What we used to call the old Ford Seahorses Show. Mm-hmm. And the following weekend is ghost ships in Milwaukee. And that's, that's also on a Saturday. Well, at least we're going to be there on a Saturday for ghost ships, even though that's uh, a two-dayer. Like my weekends, I mean, I got those. And like tomorrow, I'll be in Chicago. I got a FAA one going on. That I'm really looking forward to going to. So, even though I'm not diving, I'm not inactive.
0: Thanks. Well, I mean, you're doing better than I am. I've I haven't been in the water in quite a while. Still need to pick up that inflator hose. And but I, I'm I'm looking, and I am out of commission. Probably I think that I'll have to see when the weekends come. I might be able to make our world underwater. I'm a, I'm hoping I can, provided that's not our final build weekend. I'm yeah. trying not to look that far ahead. We're on. We're on week three of uh, six and a half. Da, da, da. Yeah, pressure, pressure. If, to if anybody is
1: going to be, if anybody is going to be at those and want to talk to us, uh, if you let us know, then we'll try to make sure our times can concur with yours. It'd be nice to meet somebody who's been out there listening to us, and can give us some personal feedback on what we can do to make it better. Yeah,
0: definitely interested in that. Oh, let's see. Do you have anything you want to plug before we get to that time of the show?
1: Uh, this is a good time of year to start looking at your gear and have it in for servicing uh, a lot of times if it's working we don't look at it too much but by the same token if it's working and it's working good it's still never a problem to make sure you go through and inspect your gear and clean it especially on parts that can fail like your bc your hose your inflator the attachment points for the same items so that's a good time to do it
0: yeah it's, it's a great time if you're if you're not going to dive at you certainly should get it serviced. And if even if you are diving it, just uh, make a plan. You know, there's going to be one weekend where you can't get out or something. Get it in the dive shops. We'll appreciate it because as we're, we're getting looking at, we're at the end of January. Uh, so even though we dive all year round, many people start diving. The earlier you dive, the longer your season's going to be. So we've got 60 days and you're into March and you're up here. Well, to, it's
1: been so so nice here. We've got people talking about I'm going to get my outboard, out, you know, outboard to let easy to work
0: with. <laughs> yeah, well, I think if
1: Bob wasn't going on going to Hawaii next month, uh, we'd be out there next month.
0: We could be. We could set a record. Wouldn't it be nice to be out in like the Havana in February? That would be a record.
1: I was really hoping we could get out there and do some work around the piers where the ice was. Uh huh. Bob's done that before, but uh,
0: yeah, just that, didn't that's work fun. this year. Yeah, we just haven't had enough. I don't think we're going to get enough ice building. I think we're probably already turned the horn on that.
1: And uh, last January, or February kicks us in the butt.
0: And it can. Yeah, oh, we've
1: done it before.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're. I. Uh, we well, normally have a storm by now, and we're and we're going to have some. We're we're not going to get away without it, but uh, we're not going to have. Well, our, my, any... my my
1: my snowblower is all gassed up and ready to go. My generator's all powered up, checked and made sure it's working. So maybe that's why we're not
0: having this problem. I think it is, and and maybe we need to kick in and make sure that happens every year. <laughs> <laughs> Other than it would be nice to get a nice dive in. But Okay, so are you ready? Ever ready. And this one is a bad scuba joke from one of the regulars on the podcast, so you can you may be able to guess who it is. I'm just trying to deflect the blame when people complain about it. On a bitterly cold morning, a husband and wife in Dublin, Kansas, were listening to the radio station during breakfast. They heard the announcer say, We're going to have 8 to 10 inches of snow today. You must park your car on the even-numbered side of the street so the snow plows can get through. So the good wife went out and moved her car. A week later, when they were eating breakfast again, the radio announcer said, We're expecting 10 to 12 inches of snow today. You must park your car on the odd side of the street so the snow plows can get through. The good wife went out and moved her car again. The next week... Again, they had breakfast when the radio announcer said, We're expecting 12 to 14 inches of snow today. You must park. And then the electric went out. The good wife was very upset. And with a worried look on her face, she said, I don't know what to do. Which side of the street do I need to park on so the snowplows can get through? With the love and understanding in his voice that all men who are married exhibit, a husband replied, Why don't you leave the car in the garage this time?
1: Uh, I did like that one.
0: <laughs> now, it's a little politically incorrect, but, I mean, you could switch her on. Maybe it was the husband, but...
1: Yeah, I had a good number of people take that from my site.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what, they took it the wrong way? No, no, the no, right they, they posted it on theirs. <laughs> uh, I even had a
1: cousin, way off cousin, wrote me a note and said, I like that one. <laughs>
0: So on that note, go out there and get wet.
1: And you guys out there, stay safe.